Hello and welcome to the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. This is episode 63. My name's Dan Club and I'm going to be your host for today and I'm joined as ever by Chloe Boxham and Dave Comerford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So today we're going to talk over Liverpool's 3-3 draw with Benfica which ultimately meant we qualified into the semi-finals of the Champions League. 6-4, and I agree. It was um, enthralling, not quite as easy as potentially it could have been, but we make it through. Um, I'll check in with the, uh, the the team first. Dave, how are we doing? You're all good? Yeah, it was strange, wasn't it? Because obviously, you know, playing Benfica and being the favourites and last night being quite a strange game, which we'll obviously talk a bit more about. It hasn't really hit you that we've went into a Champions League semi-final mm. again, you know, for the, the third time under Klopp. And realistically, and again, we will talk about Villarreal a bit later on in the podcast, but realistically, we are kind of the heavy favourites as well. So it is a hu- another huge step towards maybe something special. But yeah, it almost, uh, it almost hasn't really kind of hit or, or sunk in. I think because of the nature of that tie, really. So, yeah, I suppose it's something that we'll just kind of come to appreciate yeah. over the coming days and certainly as we get towards that sort of end of April, first leg Anfield. Yeah, definitely. It does have, it was a strange one last night. I, I was always quite relaxed. I don't know what you two were like. Um, but I always felt quite relaxed watching it, to be honest, because... The, the two goal cushion from the first leg and obviously being at Anfield just made me think pretty much no matter what happened, we were always in control. Um, and that's kind of reflected in the performance. But obviously we'll dig into that in a second. Um, but before we do, Chloe, how are you doing? You all good? I assume you were there last night. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, it was a game that I had uh, a bit more than I needed it to. Um, I wasn't stressed out in any way, but... Uh, when you were 3-1 up and were absolutely bouncing. Um, I think the reason why maybe it's not settled in is because you're 3-1 up and then all of a sudden it's 3-3. And a lot of us do take it for granted, don't we, let's be honest. Uh, You try not to, but uh, because they're that good, because we get to witness it so much and we've had to, well, we've been able to over the last couple of years, um, it does seem like we, we are... Uh, taking it for granted but I think it's not that I think it's just that everyone knows right well it's on to the next one um, it, it, we, we know how important it is that um, we don't look too far ahead and also the fact that every single game is absolutely massive so once the first one's done and dusted and it's over you now instantly look to the second and the second's just as stressful as it was last weekend so um, yeah, it, brilliant. I'm absolutely buzzing to be into the semis, but um, I think you know defensively we weren't good last night, which might have caused people some uh, reason to be concerned. But uh, aside from that, absolutely made up. Yeah, it, that's the second sort of strange second leg at Anfield we've had now. I think the Inter Milan game was similar in many ways. It almost felt like a lot of the hard work was done away from home. And there wasn't there wasn't much jeopardy 
in either second tie, um, and you alluded to it there. We don't take it for granted, but this Liverpool side is so good that, like I said earlier, it almost feels like no matter what happens, particularly at home, we're going to overcome it. So a couple of strange games um, in Europe, but like you say, ultimately, we're in the semi-finals, and that's all that really matters. Um, Chloe, I'll stick with you then. Um, I'll get your three-word match review and just a little bit more on the game. And also, I want to get your like instant reaction, if you can, to the team news. Obviously, seven changes were made. Yeah, me, me three-word review would be into the semis uh, because I think everyone deemed that it would be an easy night for us, and it wasn't. Um, you know, Benfica, fair play to them, put up a really good fight, caused us problems, got three three goals out of it. We scored about five offside goals, I swear. I felt like every every ten minutes there, the goal I was given offside. Um, but it, it was quite an enjoyable game, and the only thing that matters is that we got through, and I think everyone was confident that we would. Um, so there was no real pressure. Uh, as as for the lineup, I wasn't surprised with changes I was surprised with how many there was yeah. though um I didn't expect that it's probably one of the first times I've I've seen Jürgen Klopp look at the bigger picture um and like usually when you think that we can maybe make some changes he doesn't because he realizes how big of a game is but um he, he did and uh, you know a lot of people told me they didn't like the changes and it was a risk but ultimately, that risk has paid off. He's rested a lot of players, you know. Um, like to Thiago and that, only got 30 minutes. Uh, Fabinho struggled against Manchester City as well, so it was it, it seemed that he needed a rest anyway. Um, our attackers were rotated. So, overall, you know, it's paid off and we're, we're through. So, that's absolutely fine. Um, we've managed to rest players. We've got an unbelievably tough schedule coming up um, against some horrible sides so um yeah I'm, I'm i'm absolutely fine with what happened in the moment i was surprised but i wasn't worried in any way no it's, it's a really interesting point you raised there chloe actually it's not not one i'd really considered but in terms of Klopp looking at the bigger picture you're probably right that is probably something he's not done much of he often does pick you know nigh on the best 11 regardless of what's to come but last night seven changes for a champions league you know quarter final really was an indicator that he is looking at what else is going on around us. So, And on that topic, just before I come to you, Dave, you know, we're not going to talk about, you know, well, we might talk about City's sort of team selection a little bit later, but they obviously went through a gruelling game in Atletico last night and had to go full strength and picked up a couple of knocks. So it might have really favoured us. Um, but I will come to you, Dave, your three-word match review. And same with Chloe, really. What were your thoughts on the heavy rotation? Well, my three-word match review would be Simi, 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 uh, in reference <laughs> to his uh, his new song, which I didn't hear on. The, it didn't seem to get an airing on the TV. It seemed to be the uh, the Klopp song that everyone was kind of bouncing yeah. to. But hopefully, uh, in time, in time, that one will be sort of, you know, rocking around Anfield. But um, we can obviously come on to, to Simicast in a bit. In terms of the the team selection, I think to pick up on on what Chloe said. Someone pointed out on Twitter before the game, I can't remember who it was, but the essence of it was it's the first time, one of the first times Klopp's almost picked a side and you can tell by looking at it that he doesn't really rate the opposition too much. Um, and obviously they'd had a spell in the first leg. Um, 
sort of after half time for maybe about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of the match. But I think maybe he looked at the first leg and thought, realistically, we should have won by a bigger margin. Um, and he didn't think that they would be too big, you know, a threat. Uh, so that's why he, he was inclined to make the changes. And, you know, to a degree, I did, and I think Chloe said this as well, I did expect some changes to be made. Um, like I said on Twitter yesterday, I expected Kanate to start Firmino, Keita and Diaz, um, just on the basis that they hadn't started against City really and that there isn't too much of a drop-off there. Um, and maybe Simicast too, because you know you look at it and how many more opportunities are there for him to to slot in really um, over Robbo, given the magnitude of the fixtures that we got coming up. Um, I think the ones that were surprising were Milner and Gomez, to be honest, um, because that, I think, is where... There is a bit of a, a gulf between them and and the first choice options. Um so that that was what shocked me. I think there was two ways he, he could have gone about it. It was make loads of changes and just kind of retain your lead, which is is what we did. And we you know we did keep it pretty much under control. Like they said in commentary, it never really felt that precarious because Benfica never got within one goal. You know, mm. if they had then uh, it, might, it might have been different, but we kept them at arm's length. I mean, the other way he could have played it was play everyone, go for a really strong team at the start, and then try and go like 2-0 up at half-time, for example, and then make about three changes at, at half-time and get people off then. So there were, there were two ways he could have done it, I think. Um, the way he did it has obviously worked out, and it, yeah, it is, it is a luxury um, to be able to rest those players. I mean, uh, you look at the fixtures coming up, obviously... Man City this weekend and then United on Tuesday, Everton the following weekend, then it's Villarreal, then it's Newcastle. You know, it's it's a mad schedule. Um and I think there's a possibility if we win on Saturday that we're gonna end up playing pretty much midweek weekend until the end of the season. So yeah, it, it's mad, and you can see from that perspective why he felt the need to take a risk, and obviously it's a risk that hasn't kind of blown up in his face, thankfully. Yeah, and it was a calculated risk, like you alluded to there. I think, I think Klopp, he'll never come out and say it because he's always very complimentary of the opposition pre- and post-game, um, but you're probably right in his sort of general assessment that Benfica, despite them having strength, weren't quite strong enough to outgun us and certainly not with a two-goal cushion and that's obviously how it proved um, they matched us last night I'd say um, for the most part but I, I again always felt like we were in control and like we've seen a lot recently with Liverpool able to go through gears and I think we did a fair bit of that last night and just before we move on to sort of the individual standout performances um, actually I get best give mine mine was very similar to yours Chloe my three-word match review just semi-final booked because that's what it kind of felt like. Um, there was no frills or spills necessarily in the performance. It was decent. Um, but most importantly, we're in that Champions League semi-final yet again. Um, but yeah, on the general performance then, probably the downside of the whole evening clearly was conceding three goals. Um, is that cause for concern for you at all, Chloe? Or is that just one of them things that we brush off and move on? Um, I'm stuck in the middle of this one because uh, when when their first goal went in, I instantly said, "Okay, that's just unlucky that one." Um, mm. You can you can forgive that, okay. Uh, it's also it's a back four in which only one of them is our regular, which is Matip. 
they've never played together before. And I think the problem with the Highline situation and, and is is that you need all four of those players to trust in the system, but also to trust in each other. And you just need to have a confidence in each other, which I think they do have. Um, but they need to have confidence in doing the system with each other. Um, mm. And Virgil van Dijk is a massive vocal point for that. Uh, we obviously know that he organises everyone at the back. So um, I, I I didn't like that we conceded three at home, that's for sure. Um, and it seemed like, you know, I, I don't know how close these offsides are because I haven't seen them back. But um, it felt like in the ground, everyone was just like, that's another one. Oh, that's another one. Oh, that could actually be onside as well. No one had a clue. They all just looked close. Um, but I, I hope it's not a cause for concern. I think we've just, I think because we've not been at our best for, I don't know, the last couple of weeks, um, I think people start to think, okay, well, that's maybe where we could get done. When in actual fact, we are the best team at holding a high line. That's, our, that, that, that's the system we play. Um, with our name back four who do it week in, week out and know each other uh, and know the positions of where each other should be at every moment. Um, I'm not as worried. Uh, this was a makeshift defence, a, a heavily rotated defence, one that hasn't played together. Uh, a lot of them haven't got a lot of minutes this season anyway. So um, I'm not yet worried. I think I'm more worried about how we seem to just be getting through games um and usually that's brilliant. Like I'm I'm happy to as long as the results there, that's fine. Mm. Um but it has been several weeks now where we've not been anywhere near our best and City could have had us. Yeah. Um because for forty five minutes we were absolutely dreadful. Um in that game we weren't awful. We were great attacking wise, but it felt like one ball and they were in. Um so I'm hoping that, you know, the Reds are just conserving themselves, uh, saving energy, just doing the bare minimum to get through, get the results, um, and they're building up and saving the energy for the massive running that we've got now. Yeah, that, I think that's my hope as well, to be honest, Chloe, and I think that's probably everyone's hope, because I've been similar to you when watching some of the performances of late and thinking we're nowhere near sort of at our best here. I mean, a lot of time it hasn't mattered, but there's always that niggling feeling in the back of your mind where you think, yeah, okay, we're not great now, but we're going to have to be at some point. And it hasn't happened just yet. But every game, every next game, I'm thinking, okay, we'll click into gear here. So, fingers crossed, that finally does happen. Um, and I think you're right to mention sort of the... I don't want to use the word makeshift, because that does the individuals a massive disservice. But as a back four, I, I think I'm right in saying they've never played together. Um, and if they have, it's, you're talking once, maybe twice at a maximum. And even Joel Matip, who's like the regular member, like you said, was on the wrong side, in essence, um, and without Virgil van Dijk as the leader. So it's not a huge surprise, there are issues. Um, Dave, I'll get your opinion on the three goals conceded. Obviously, conceding three goals at home is never nice and not something we do regularly at Anfield. But are you concerned or are you happy just to move on? I think it just shows how important Van Dyke is yeah. when it comes to orchestrating that line. And also, as well as that, I think, in terms of running, when when the line does get reached, in terms of running back and um, making the chance as difficult as possible or, or simply just taking the ball off the attacker, 
Um, I think it probably just underlines that, really. I mean, it's only the third uh, Premier League or Champions League game he's actually been you know, left on the bench for. Um, the first was Milan at home, and obviously in that game we were dominant, and then we conceded it twice. You know, the defence kind of unravelled in a couple of minutes before half-time. The other one was was Porto, where I think we also were home that that was. I think we looked a little bit, you know, vulnerable in that game, but, um, you know, obviously we were able to get clean sheet and a 2-0 win. And it was only the fourth time uh, that Matip and Kanate had started together. So that, that familiarity isn't there and it is, a you know, a bit of a, a culture shock, I think. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't worry me too much. Um, I think it's a lot, you know, significantly based on, on Van Dijk. One thing I would say, though, is, you know, Chloe was, was talking there about being a bit, a, a little bit concerned about the the fact that it's been weeks um, of kind of performances where we're not at our best. And I'm not saying we were at our best yesterday, but I do think that obviously we can see the three goals, you know, that's that's not great. But I think the performance level was actually higher, in my opinion, than it's been in games that we've won. Um, mm. in recent weeks. Um, I thought for large spells of the game we were actually we were actually looking really good yesterday. So yeah, it, it was it was decent overall. The the goals doesn't worry me too much to be honest. Um it shows how precarious the high line is and how um difficult it is to, you know, keep it intact and, and stop it from being breached. But thankfully we have someone who's a, you know, the best in the world, not only as a defender all round, but probably as someone to kind of hold everyone else in check. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, like you say, it's never particularly pleasing to concede three goals at home. But you know, if we can look back at a game having done that and still be relatively comfortable with what's going on, it shows that we're in a pretty strong place overall. Um, so we'll move on now to some individual performances. Um, and I'll come to you, Chloe, because I want to leave the next man to Dave in particular. Um, so Roberto Firmino, um, two goals last night, two second half goals, um, took them both, you know, relatively well. The second one in particular. Um, so Cy Steers on Twitter said that he seen he seen Bobby Firmino written off so many times. He's only thirty years old, and he never relied on pace. It's always about. It's always been about intelligence and technique. He can be a fantastic squad option for LFC in the next three to four years. He can be streaky, but when he's on it, he's a genius. Which I think is a pretty fair assessment. We spoke about Firmino quite a lot before on the pod, and in particular, what his squad role is going to be. So, first, do you agree with that sentiment that he he has got many years at the club left in him? Um, And obviously, secondly, just your thoughts on his performance last night. Yeah, I think he could be um, an integral part in this last seven games in, in the Premier League. I think he can be massive uh, towards the end of the season. I said it a couple of weeks ago, um, he is still a massive football player for, for this Liverpool team. He would mm. be for any team. He has got that much quality. I think the only reason people are looking at him uh, in, in the light of what they've been doing this season is... Because he's been the most unreliable that he's been throughout his entire career at Liverpool. Yeah. Um, you know, th- he's missed a lot of games this season. Um, do I think he could do it for another two, three years? Absolutely. Uh, he's so, so good with his back to goal, his hold up play, bringing people into the game. Um, he's never relied on pace. 
no, he, he doesn't have it. Um, but you rely on your body to keep up with you. Um, and this season, it's sadly not been the best and it's only going to get more intense because it feels like if you want to win anything in the next however many years, you're going to have to beat Manchester City. You're going to have to go toe-to-toe with them. I still think he can do it um, and I'd you know, keep him for another two years. But if he's, you know, he's surely going to know that he's not always going to be number one. Um, a lot of the time he is going to be someone coming off the bench or heavily rotated footballer. Um, and it's quite mad saying that because he is the someone who literally, when you watch him at times, makes you your jaw drop in astonishment with what he can do with a football. Um, but he, it, it, it's up to him of, of what he feels like. I think he absolutely adores the club. He adores the fans. Um, he looks so happy to play football. It's just whether he'd be okay with the role that's not um, at the forefront. He's not going to be guaranteed games every single uh, weekend. Um, but he surely he knows how important he is to this football club because um, I don't care what you say, he's a Liverpool legend and he has been absolutely incredible for, for Liverpool. And um, we'd all love to see him for another couple of years at least because... Um, if we're going to win things, we're going to need a, a really big squad and he can be a part of that. I'm torn on him because obviously we've got this this contract expiring in about 14 months now, I think it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. We haven't really had any indication of what the club intend to do, which might implicitly be saying that they might actually let him go. Um, and something happened for me with Sadio Mane earlier in the season where I've been kind of wrapped up in this narrative about him not being the player he once was maybe and kind of being on the decline a little bit and I feel like because I focus so much on that I've maybe almost taken taken him for granted and failed to appreciate his just you know how important a player that he's been for Liverpool and how legendary he's been and I also think that I've done the same potentially with Firmino um, and you know with Mane I've I've been trying to like appreciate him a lot more and, and enjoy him a lot more while he is still still here. And I think I should probably, you know, be doing the same with Firmino, to be honest, because sometimes you do have to kind of just take a step back um rather than fo- focus on the immediate. And um I think the decline narrative that you know a lot of people have spoken about and that that I, that I've spoken about as well. Um it's not, you know, completely clear cut because if you look at it this season, he scored 11 goals in, in 30 appearances now. You compare that to last season, he only got nine and that was in 48 games. Um, and he only needs one more actually to equal his goal tally from the season we won the league. And surprisingly, because I think Firmino's pretty rightfully got a reputation of uh, of squandering chances. Um, he's actually outperformed his expected goals by, by 2.6. Um, and he's... I don't know if you've noticed, but he seems to be turning almost more into a bit of a poacher. Um, he's got four out of five prem goals in the six-yard box, a couple more close-range goals yesterday. So that's all kind of encouraging. And like I say, I do want to make sure he's appreciating exactly what Chloe was saying there about you can't deny that he's a Liverpool legend. The problem that I have with him is that, well, there's a couple. I think one of them is you don't have any real confidence in him when it's a difficult opportunity. Um, I think shooting from six from in the six yard box 
it's kind of good from like an analytics point of view, I suppose. But it also speaks to the fact that if he's any further out, he's probably going to pass. Um, obviously, we saw that situation yesterday uh, with Diaz, which, to be fair, I think was mostly just really good defending um, from the, uh, I think it was Grimaldo tracking back. Um, but the main problem I have with him is that he is someone who has built a lot of his game around being able to receive the ball deeper than another forward and then basically slipping that forward through or slipping them into a goal-scoring position. But so many times the weight of his pass, and this has been the case for a couple of years, mm-hmm. is off, um, whether it's undercooked or, or too much. You know, there's a situation yesterday where Jota gets it on sort of it's sort of on the day. And then Firmino's just inside the box and Jota plays it to him. And Firmino, to, to his credit, you know, the one-two is a really clever option. And that's what he tries to do. Mm-hmm. But he just overcooks the pass by a couple of yards. And then the goalkeeper comes out. I think Jota ends up kicking him in the head or something like that. Um, and, we, and we get a corner out of it. But you just think if the pass is, is precise, then Jota actually potentially scores. And... That's the kind of thing that happens. And I think when it is someone who, who relies so much on the work he does in terms of connecting, I think that is the the thing that that, that grates me. And that's the, the mark against his name for me, is that in terms of that false nine role, I can accept not scoring huge amounts. And, mm-hmm. you know, this season I probably get close to, you might get close to 15 goals a season, which is which is perfectly fine. But the other aspects of his role, I don't feel he's as sharp in as he has been in the past. And that's the concern for me. And that's why I'm kind of sceptical a little bit about how much longer he can be kind of really useful. But like I say, I am I am torn on it. Like it, it's not it's not clear cut and there have been signs signs of encouragement this season as well. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult one. I think it all boils down to, like you said earlier on, his contract situation. You know, were we in contract for another two or three years? I don't think many people will be calling to sell him this summer or even next summer. But because he is at a contract, there's a real dilemma there and there is a conversation to be had. For me, I'm a huge Bobby advocate, always have been, always will be. Um, and I agree with everything Sai Steer said on Twitter in terms of he's never really relied on pace. So the fact he might lose a yard doesn't necessarily matter. Hopefully, the the, the yard he loses in pace, he can almost gain in extra intelligence. Um, but having said all that, I do agree with your point, Dave, is particularly with his, his passing. Very often he chooses the right option, which is not something that could be said about the entire, you know, attacking ranks at Liverpool. But too often he doesn't execute it properly. And I think we've seen a couple of them yesterday and it's probably grown more evident this season. But Still, for me, I think, you know, he's a high quality operator and what we could see from him, potentially, we've seen it once or twice is when we've gone with that front four and he's been a part of that. And I still believe he has the capabilities to, you know, he essentially plays in a 10 role quite a lot anyway when he drops deep. And I still think he could be a 10, a bit of a makeshift 10, not necessarily a natural 10, but I still think that's an option for him. Um, and one thing I will say on last night's performance, obviously he gets two goals, but if you look at his defensive contributions from that game as well, you know, we're talking tackles, interceptions, you know, winning duels and that sort of stuff. And that's from the person who's essentially playing as your centre forward. So I still think he's got a lot to offer. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting conversation anyway. Um, now, a conversation I know you definitely want to have, Dave, is um, Acosta Simicast, because it says here, is Dan now willing to accept my 9 out of 10 shout from the player ratings episode? Um, 
So I'll let you, if you need to stake a case, I'll let you stake that case if you want. Well, there isn't much I can say about Simacasta. I haven't really said already. He comes in having not played for a good few weeks. This is the case a few times this season. And he literally doesn't put a foot wrong. And the difference to Robertson, like in terms of the effect that you feel, it's just it's just minimal. And the quality of the business, I think, to sign someone who is such a close stylistic match to the best left back in the world. I mean, you look on if you look on FB Ref and you go on similar players, I'm pretty sure the number one um, for Costa Simacas is Andy Robertson, which says pretty much everything really. And to sign him for, I think it was about eleven and a half million. I think is probably an, an underrated piece of business um, from from this regime, mm-hmm. to be honest, um, and one that's proven to be quite important, I think. And for me, the the thing with Simakas now is in terms of adding something new to the narrative about him. You know, we talked a lot about him relative to Robertson, who I think we probably all agree is the best left back in the world. But the thing now is, how good is he in his own right? Because I'm starting to, to wonder how many left backs that actually are are kind of the the top teams mm. in Europe who are actually better than him. And obviously, you know, there's there's going to be a fair few. You know, he's not. I'm I'm not saying he's you know one of the absolute best, but Liverpool will be fortunate to keep hold of him in a way because he is really really good. And I don't think he's he's hardly put a foot wrong in any of his performances. He, he's got the complete package really of what he wants from a left back. And yeah, I do think that he is certainly kind of nudging that that top bracket for left backs. And there can't be, you know, I've not looked into it, looked into it in much detail, but I'd be stunned if there was a better support support left back at, at any of the, the big clubs really, to be honest, because yeah, with, with every game he's just sort of growing in stature. I mean, he's already got like six assists and he, he's only played twenty one games. Um which is a really good record. And yeah, obviously, like you could tell from my review, I'm a massive fan of his. Hmm. Yeah, it, that, just to feel, I don't think there's a better understudy left-back in world football, quite frankly, that he is outstanding. He, he's, it's freakish to have someone that good as an understudy, quite frankly. And while you were talking, then I was thinking, because Andy Robertson's obviously, like you say, the best left-back in the world, the best left-back I've ever seen play for Liverpool. And... It dawned on me the other week that Kelleher is one of the best goalkeepers I've seen play for Liverpool. And obviously, he's like our number two. And Simicass, being our number two, might be like the second best left-back I've ever seen play for Liverpool. It's only a very small sample size, but it's just ridiculous, the levels of quality we've got. Um, I'll come to you, Chloe, on Simicass. What are your thoughts on him generally? What were your thoughts on him last night? And what are your... I'll, I'll get your answer to this, Dave, as well in a minute. But what's your favourite part of his game? What does he do best of all? Um, thoughts on last night, he was out and out the best player on the pitch. I know Firmino yeah. gets two goals, but his Mikas was absolutely sensational. Um, and not just was it attacking, he gets two assists, obviously. Mm-hmm. Defensively, he was brilliant. Um, getting back as well, obviously... Liverpool with the high fullbacks, we know that at times you can get countered and, you know, it seemed like one through ball by them and they were in. And yet Tizmika still was making up the ground. Um, My favourite part from last night specifically, there was one point 
where he was getting tracked down by three men and everyone was just screaming, go back, go back, go back. Um, and Benfica ended up, you know, making sure the, the, the pass back couldn't happen. They closed off the space um, and it felt like he was surrounded and he just went round in a little circle and then picked Celta player down the line and went in and we yeah. get a chance from it. I think... Um, I think Mane passes it into Salah, who delicately flicks it onto Firmino, and Firmino's uh, yeah, shot yeah, is blocked. Yeah. Um, but it, it just goes to show you, he is so calm and collected in those situations. He can see a game, um, you know, it, without him looking in that direction. He knows uh, that the players run um, and, and where those players are going to be taken up the space. Um, but my favourite thing about him, I mean, geez, there's so much. I mean, I, I think he's our best set, not set piece, sorry, but our best corner taker um, for me. I, I do. I think Trent and Robbo are brilliant, but from dead balls, they're not as good as what they are. Like, it's mental. A ball coming at, like, so much pace, the hardest ball to control, and he'll pass a first time, and it'll be unbelievable. Um, and yet, dead ball situations aren't as easy to them. Whereas Mikas is is corn as a boss. Um, but the thing I love most about him is he just, um, it's like he can't quite believe he's playing at Liverpool. Um, he's just he's taking it all in. He absolutely loves it. Um, there's no way he grew up thinking he'd ever get to that level, uh, being able to play at Anfield and and have the crowd by him. And yet he is, and his passion on that pitch, his passion when we score, um, his passion to, to run down the line and, and, and put pressure on. And then like when something happens, he just goes a bit mad, doesn't he? Um, and he definitely lives up to the crowd. Um, so, I, so I just love how, how happy he is to be here, how uh, he doesn't even need a run of games to actually pick up form. He just gets slotted in, and it's like he's been there for weeks. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to mention his um, his happiness and his sheer joy of playing for Liverpool, and it's definitely come across. And you know, as well as his performances, you know, his yeah, just his sheer love of being here has definitely endeared him to the Liverpool fans, hasn't it? And you know, that's one thing we all love about him. I think. Um, Dave, before I give my answer on it, I want to get your what's your the corners point. By the way, Chloe is an excellent one. And it wasn't one that crossed my mind, but I think that's a great shout. I think his set piece delivery is, is high quality and it might well be better than Robertson's or Trent's, which is, you know, extraordinary in itself. Um, Dave, what's your favourite part of Simicath's game? Well, to be honest, I've just got to echo 100% of what of what Chloe said there. Um, the set pieces point is, is a really good one and... Mm. He's obviously got a couple of assists from from those situations yesterday, and it's such a great weapon to have, especially for a team like us who are so kind of well set up in the middle. You know, you see the amount of set piece goals that we actually score. You know, to have the quality of delivery means that we were incredibly dangerous. Um, yeah, uh, the other thing I'd say again would be the spirit that he has, and I think you see that on and off the pitch. Um, you know, he's a real real battler on the pitch. Um, not that he's like hot headed or anything, but you know he kind of relishes like fifty fifties. I think, um, and I think having someone who is like Chloe says so so happy to be at the club, it's obviously important in terms of keeping him here because that's what I just said there. 
I'm sure there'll be clubs thinking if we can get him in as our starting left back, well, that's that's huge for us. But I think he looks like he's already he does he just loves the club and the attitude that he has has helped him to forge a bond with the supporters as well. Which I think that kind of that new song that we alluded to earlier, you know, it references that um, in terms of being like an adopted scouser. And I also think the last thing I'd say on this is having somebody with that spirit and someone who isn't playing every week and hasn't hadn't played um, in a sort of you know decently sized game for quite you know a number of weeks before last night, but having someone who will accept that role and probably almost relish it and, and appreciate it and still be that kind of positive influence on like the training ground. I think it's really important for the the atmosphere within the team. And I think that's something that shouldn't go underappreciated is how is kind of the that kind of atmosphere behind the scenes and how figures like Sipacas are hugely important, especially when there is so much like the players are probably <laughs> already quite exhausted from the amount of football they played and there's so much more to come and there's so much pressure. But I think having characters like him is crucial in in cultivating the right the right mood and, and getting through these periods to be honest. So yeah, I'm just I'm just delighted to to have him at Liverpool and I'm hoping he can he can stay for a very long time. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think, like you say, I think his happiness will be important long term when we try. You know, because we are going to have to sort of fend off interest, I'd imagine. Because, like we said, if you've got somebody that good who's playing second fiddle, you know, if you were any sort of club worth the salt in Europe, you'd be asking questions. But he's obviously clearly delighted, and it's similar to Firmino in a way. Firmino, pretty happy, pretty settled in Liverpool, very unselfish on the field. So you'd imagine he'd be happy to sort of play that bit part role moving forwards. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, just to finish on Simicast, for me, my favourite sort of part of his game is his decision making. I think whenever he gets into sort of that advanced position, often you know, Robertson's you know world class is absolutely no doubt about it, and he delivers pretty much straight away. And sometimes it's not necessarily the best option. Um, whereas Simicast, a few times last night and in the past, he has that sort of um the wherewithal to make that different decision and he plays different types of balls into the box and there's a point last night whereby it looked for all the world like he was going to deliver and he said he chopped back and he made something else happen in the area and I just thought there's something about him when he's on the attack that he's almost got like a calm presence of mind that makes other things happen and Robertson's outstanding in attack as well but I think Simicast might just edge him in that aspect as well but listen it's nice problems to have isn't it there's no doubt about it um, we'll come on to honourable mentions now, um, and one that might get a mention from the opposition is Darwin Nunes. Um, I want to get your thoughts on him because obviously he's been linked with a lot of clubs. He's, you know, he scored a few goals, some of them disallowed against us now. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to you, Chloe. You know, honourable mentions from last night from a Liverpool standpoint, and also Darwin Nunes. What are your thoughts? Um, I'll start with Darwin Nunes, and I thought, you know. Very young, um, caused us a lot of problems, very physical, wins a lot of battles in the air, but also, you know, he ran off a lot of our players in behind. Um, a, clearly a very, very good youngster who, um, I don't know how he'd fit our system. I, I'm not too sure. I think he's good enough to fit it. I, I don't know what type of role he's doing. I think he'd probably end up doing more of a closer role to Firmino in a sense than um, Jota, just for the main fact of, 
I think Darwin's a really good hold-up player of a ball. But um, if I'm being honest, I've not seen much of him. When I have seen him, he's done really well. Uh, so I've got the Champions League, I think, for Benfica. He's the first player, well, first player for them, I think, to hit six goals um, in, a, in a Champions League campaign. So, and he, he's done that against some really big sides. So, um, fair play to act. Once again, I haven't watched them enough. Um, I think the money that's being talked about is a bit ridiculous. But then again, money in football nowadays is ridiculous. And mm. to buy a player that is getting hyped up as much as he is and only 22, you are going to look around that price tag. Right now, I don't think it's our main worry to bring in someone like him. But <laughs> if you told me that we were signing him, I'd be happy. You know what I mean? I yeah. would not be against signing him. Um, I just personally, you know, don't know too much about him. I don't know. We, we've got that problem again that people turn around and say, I mean, he's done it in the Champions League, so there's that proven. But I'm so sorry, the Portuguese league compared to the Premier League, it is an extreme step up. Uh, Luis Diaz has clearly adapted to life very quickly, but mm-hmm. he slots into our system so well. Um and I'm pretty sure, you know, Jürgen could do that with Darwin Nunes. Do I think Liverpool are going to pay that much for him? Absolutely not. So I might as well just not think about it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> because it, it, it won't happen. Um, so, you know, that's my standpoint on him. But as as for honourable mentions, I thought Naby Keita played really well. Um, and I think I think it's for, for me news goal where... I'm gonna say that Jota set them up, but I don't actually think. I think it's a shock. Um, mm. In the build-up, Naby Keita slips the ball through to Diaz, and Diaz, unfortunately, his first touch can't. You know, he couldn't get onto it. Um, but I just thought Naby Keita was really good last night. I think um, he's had these games where he's he's been fairly decent, one of our best players, and then obviously he gets dropped the next week because of of what uh, game it is coming up, but. Um, I think he's, you know, we've spoken about him not reaching the heights, but uh, he's he's looking like he's got a bit of consistency about him now when he plays. Um, and I just thought he, he was fairly decent on the ball uh, yesterday. So um, I'd go with him. There, there obviously are a lot of players you could choose from. I thought Lewis Diaz was absolutely everywhere. Um, but I'll go with Naby Keita. Yeah, I, I think Kate is definitely well worthy of a mention. Um, I'll just admire say on Nunes. I've been really impressed with him over the two legs, I must admit. Some of the theatrics and the antics I'm not too convinced about, but I think that's something he could easily be told he wasn't going to do anymore when he moves, um, if that manager was that way inclined. Um, you're right in what you say in terms of, I don't know how he fits with us, because... He was a bit all over the place in terms of picking the ball up a lot from the left-hand side, and that wouldn't necessarily suit us when he plays centrally. But for me, he's 22. He's playing in a a decent Benfica side. He probably feels like he needs to get on the ball a lot to try and make things happen. And I think that's been evident over the two legs. Whereas if you almost, you know, honed into him what he's what is required of him, I think he's got all the attributes to be successful for a club like us and even for our system. So, yeah. If we were interested, I think that interest would have been ramped up quite a lot over the past couple of weeks because, yeah, he's athletic, he's physical, he's got a lot of quality. Um, yeah, I've been properly impressed. Um, and in terms of honourable mentions for me, 
Cater would have been one of them. Joe Gomez is probably the other one, to be honest with you, because obviously I won't say too many names because Dave's going to come in, but I think Joe Gomez had another decent game at right back. Um, something we've not been able to say all too often down the years, but I thought again, after the Nottingham Forest game a couple of weeks ago, I thought again he was impressive there. So yeah, another plus point for me. Um, Dave, any honourable mentions and your take on Nunes? Well, yeah, I'm really glad to see Gomez getting more games recently. I think that's that's really important for him, and we are seeing, I think, an improvement in his performances. Liverpool on honourable mentions. Uh, Chloe said pretty much verbatim what I would have said about cases, to be honest. So yeah, um, I kind of just I'll probably just leave that one because we've we've covered it already. Really, you know, you both alluded to how impressive he was on on Nunez. There was a report last week from the Portuguese media after the first leg saying that Liverpool's players and I think Salah was one of them had sort of been really impressed by how he mm-hmm. played and the obvious um, flashback there is is to Minamino we obviously signed that off the back of him causing us major problems in the Champions League so whether there might be something in that I don't know I'm sure he, we were our players were kind of impressed again Um Clearly, he's a composed finisher, works very hard as well. I, I remember one moment yesterday where I think he tracked, it might have been Salah, all the way to kind of the edge of our box, and I was, I was quite impressed by that. Um, and there was also that run in the first half where he basically just completely circumvented Joel Massip. Like, he just kind of ran past him and then mm. just took the ball beyond him at the byline, which was, you know, a really dangerous piece of play. And yeah, athletically, he's he's clearly decent, decent profile in that in that respect. You know, can I say put him on the floor again? But yeah. I think there's probably very few forwards who could um, stay on their feet when they get you know shrugged by uh, by can I say to be honest? And yeah, he did seem to kind of have have the edge on on Matip um, physically in that moment I talked about. The the concerns that I have are um, stuff that I mean you two have kind of picked up on. In terms of the money that's getting bandied about, like you, you know, if you're looking at if you're looking at anything more than sixty million, and I think there's sort of seventy and eighty getting thrown around. I don't think Liverpool are going to pay that, to be honest. Um, and that might be even more so because there could be an almost a bit more that emerges because, like like you've said, he is so highly coveted. And I also think that, you know, we started the game in the central role yesterday and moved out to the left when Juremchuk came on. But we have Jota as a left-wing centre-forward. Mane is that to a lesser extent as well. And then we've got, obviously, Firmino and Jota, who are our kind of two centre-forward options. So really, I think if there is to be an attacking signing, it's going to be someone who's predominantly a right-winger and maybe can play one of the other roles. Um but whether we need another player who is sort of a left-wing sort of striker hybrid, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, but yeah, obviously he's really seen his opportunity to impress um, in a Champions League knockout tie against one, one of the best teams in the world. And I think even if I don't necessarily see a move to Liverpool happening, um, I'd say that he is going to get a move to one of the top teams. But was there something else you wanted to add on him, Chloe? I just wanted to say, we mentioned honourable mentions and something just came into my head. 
does anyone remember in that first half where uh, we have some really decent football down the right hand side and the ball comes to the edge of the box to Luis Diaz um, and I physically screamed in the ground and this happened it looked like he went to shoot and instead just nudged it past the player and I think it must have been Grimaldo Grimaldo ended up on his ass. it was the funniest thing I've seen <clears> on a football pitch um, it was so funny um, but I, you know, I just thought of that when I thought of Luis Diaz, um, and the, the keeper makes a good save after it. But yeah. this player tried to square up Luis Diaz on the edge of the box, and it's just not something you want to do because uh, he just like basically fake shot, and instead went past him, but he ended up on the floor on his ass. <laughs> yeah, Diaz did that to a few people yesterday. He was particularly, you know, purring at times. I thought and. Him and Diogo Jota, I thought the interplay between them two and the switching sides was really fascinating to watch. Um, and it's actually just on Diaz, just before I move on. When we signed him, you know, if you look at his sort of FC Porto profile, it was all left wing. And you thought, OK, we've signed a left winger. But, you know, we've seen him pop up on the right quite a few times now. And, you know, clearly Klopp is adamant that Luis Diaz can play on the right wing as well. So that bodes well about what we're talking about. Um, with Nunes especially. Um, but yeah, I will move on. Uh, just to finish on the Champions League side of things. Obviously, last night meant we have booked a place in the semi-finals where we'll meet Villarreal, the conquerors of Bayern Munich. Um, I think, you know, not to be underestimated, they're in the Champions League semi-final for a start. But, you know, if you'd have said to me at the start of the season, you're going to face Villarreal in the Champions League semis, I'd have bitten both your hands off, quite frankly. Unai Emery, ex-Arsenal boss, has, you know, developed quite a reputation for being, I think Jurgen Klopp called him the Cup King. Um, and particularly in Europe, they have really excelled. So I'll come to you, Chloe, straight away. Um, just briefly, what are you expecting on the tie of Villarreal? You know, man for man, on paper, anything else you want to say, we're stronger than they are. Do you expect that to pan out or do you expect it to be a lot closer than we expect? Um, I think just looking at you know the performances that they've put in, how defensively, uh, how defensively can play, how you know compact, um, they can play, and also just how structured they can play. They they're very very good at staying in shape, um, in and out of the ball, dangerous on the counter attack. I think it'll be closer than we think. I mean, first of all, I just love the story. I mean, a little town like that, yeah. um getting into the semi-finals or Champions League, knocking out some of the biggest teams like Bayern Munich. I mean, that's an absolute fairy tale in itself. And I hope Liverpool doing the fairy tale. But um, I respect it and I love an underdog. And, uh, you know, fair play to them. It's it's great to see what they've done. Um, but I'm hoping Liverpool have far too much for them uh, attacking-wise. I mean, I saw Bayern Munich really struggle um, mm-hmm. attackingly. Um, but... Bayern Munich don't have our attackers. I know they've got some outstanding footballers there, um, but you know we've got some of the best in the world. Um, Jota's proven himself all season. Salah, arguably the best in the world. Uh, Mane, who's on his day absolutely incredible, and Diaz, you know, bit scary um, to think that you know he might even be a sub. And then you've obviously got Firmino, who can hold it up and unlock. Um, doors by doing a little bit of magic so um, I'm hoping we have far too much, I'm hoping we run them into the ground and they just get too tired because we're that persistent with what we do mm. um, but 
I think it'll be much closer than we're all expecting. But uh, if if you're getting Villarreal in a semi-final and you're not going into the Champions League final, then um, you're going to regret it for years to come. Yeah, 100%. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And you're right in sort of the fairy tale story, which sounds quite, you know, sounds like I'm being negative about them. I'm most certainly not, but nobody would have expected this. And especially when you consider, you know, the size of the club and, and also sort of the players that have done it, because there's a lot of, for want of a better word, like Premier League rejects there. Um, that Juan Foyf and Dan Juma didn't exactly set the world alight with Bournemouth in the Premier League and Ligeti and Capu. Had a decent time in the Premier League, wasn't outstanding, and and they're almost doing a lot of the major Los work. Elsa. Yeah, Los Elso is a good shout as well. They're doing a lot of the major work for Villarreal, so credit to them. Um, Dave, I'll ask you the same question just before we move on to City. Um, what do you expect from the tie? They've obviously they want to keep things tight. They maybe nick a goal like they've done against Bayern twice. Do you expect similar, or do you think we'll just have too many ways of hurting them? I'll say. They're a strange team, Villarreal. I mean, if you look at the La Liga table, they're seventh. They've only got yeah. 46 points, so that's 11 behind Atletico, who are fourth. But they've managed to knock out Juve and Bayern, and I think kind of deservedly as well, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, I don't know if you saw the highlights of that first leg, especially against Bayern. The amount of chances they wasted, I mean, they could have actually won comfortably on, on aggregate. Um in the end. And I read an article about them after the after they knocked out Bayern. And apparently obviously they put a lot of men behind the ball and that's what they'll do against Liverpool. But apparently when they get it, you know, they back they don't just play direct, they back themselves to play out under pressure and put together these, you know, really long moves. So they've got that they've got those kind of tech technical players, I think, who will be able to, you know, potentially break the Liverpool press. So it's going to be an interesting test. Like it might be one of them where we're not maybe able to sustain pressure as much as we um, expect. And I think the other interesting thing in terms of the dynamic of the tie is that the first legs at Anfield. Mm-hmm. And if you remember back to um, previous first legs at Anfield, you know, Bayern Munich, where we drew nil nil, even that Porto game, um, which I think was eighteen nineteen as well, where we won two nil, I want to say, and because you're at home, you almost think if you don't batter them, you almost come out of it feeling a little bit deflated. Like with that Porsche one, it was like, oh, we've not managed to finish the tie. And with the Bayern one, it was like, oh, we're nil-nil and, we've, and we were at home. You know, it's a missed opportunity. So it does put pressure on Liverpool in the first leg to, to run up a big margin, I think. And if they go and having to go to their stadium, I think with only a one or two goal lead will feel really tough. So... Yeah, I think we have to brace ourselves for a closer scoreline um, than you'd expect given the gulf between the two sides. You know, you, you mentioned Emery being like a, a cup specialist. Um, but yeah, I, I could only echo what you said. The bottom line is it's a massive um, missed opportunity of Liverpool don't get to the final from here. And I'd like to think that Liverpool are a bridge too far for them um, because... For all you know, Bayern's Bayern's brilliance. I think we have seen that whilst it looked earlier in the season that they could compete with Liverpool, Chelsea, City, you know, the, the top Premier League side at the moment, I think it's actually proven that they're a little bit short of those teams and they haven't really been the force that 
many kind of expected. So it was a, a big shock that they sprung there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to think that Liverpool will be immune to that and can ride out any any tough spells. Yeah, 100%. And there's always like the, the sense that maybe, you know, in inverted commas, that was their final. Although, like you say, they actually done Juventus and Bayern now. But hopefully that's them done for giant killings this season. And we can... Can I just say... One last thing that I forgot to mention on Villarreal. Um, when I was looking at the La Liga table, did you two see at the weekend between the Bayern games what they did with their team selection? Oh, sorry, no. No, I haven't. They just what, what, happened? what happened was they literally changed the entire first 11. I did see. Sorry, so, yeah, I did. I seen the keeper yeah. change as well. That was it. Cause yeah, they, yeah, right, they, yeah, they even course. changed the goal. I don't know why you changed the goalkeeper. It's no. like just literally a change for change's sake. It's like literally shows. It's like saying to the rest of La Liga, like, <laughs> oh yeah, um, we're still in the Champions League, by yeah. the way. So yeah, we're not we're not really bothered about La Liga anymore. Yeah, um, right, so yeah. <laughs> I think the players are going to be very fresh, put it that way, because where they are in the league, like I said, eleven points off fourth. Um, they're probably just thinking. In fact, they're even. Um, how many points is that? They're even eight points off the team in sixth so they're literally probably just going to tank the rest of the La Liga season mm. and the only games that are going to be significant to them I think are the Champions League games so that's kind of an interesting thing I mean it's the Newcastle um, away game for us isn't it between the two the two ties yeah. um, which obviously isn't the hardest fix we've got left but every time I think about that game I think about the 18-19 fixture where we're in a very similar boat and uh that one proved to be just incredibly exhausting, um, and obviously getting the the winner late on at three two. So, yeah, for us we don't have that that luxury. Whereas for them, it's literally one hundred percent focus on on the Champions League. So I think that'll be a, a factor within the tie, maybe. Yeah, and not only that, La Liga have got um, previous for helping out teams that are left in the Champions League, whereas the Premier League clearly have no interest in that. Um, because it doesn't suit their broadcast rights and what have you. Um, and also, the Villarreal tie obviously means we will meet again with Alberto Moreno, um, which is always fun. I do hope he plays, actually, against Mohamed Salah. That could be interesting. Um, and obviously, Villarreal nicknamed the Yellow Submarine. So that's a nice touch from a Liverpool perspective as well. Um, but we will move on. Obviously, we're going to have a lot more Villarreal build-up when the time gets nearer. But for now, we've got the small matter of a FA Cup semi-final on Saturday against Manchester City. Um, obviously, after the, what we see in last Sunday at the Etihad, this is billed to be an absolute epic encounter once again. So I'll come to you, Chloe. Um, based on what we see in last Sunday, where do you think Liverpool can improve and what lessons can we learn from what we've seen? Um, and do you expect us to do so, I suppose? Um, I'm hoping so. I don't think there's as much stress on the game. Um, I know it's a semi-final and all, but it felt like if City beat us in the league and he went four points clear, um, that it was pretty much, you know, season over in the sense of they'd won the league. And that was for me anyway. Um, And that's one of the first times Liverpool have ever lacked calmness and composure in a football game and it was most definitely against City the other day we were mm-hmm. extremely sloppy the errors we made led to goals I mean you talk about their first goal Fabinho just got ran off and he just it was like oh yeah he's passed me never mind uh, then no one else closed the ball it got a deflection it went in 
Um, their second goal, which comes from a corner, is Alisson's kick out, which I don't think I've seen a worse kick out in my life. I don't know what that was. Um, but, you know, there's so many places he could have passed that ball and he looped it up in the air. Um, nowhere near our players. They won the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes to Robbo. Robbo heads it out to the edge of the box, the centre of the box, and you get a corner from it. Um, by recycling it and it, it going out of play. So I'm hoping the Reds uh, have a bit more about them. I hope we start quicker because we can see it the, within the first five um, on Sunday. And I just hope we have a bit more about us because we got a draw out of a game where for 45 minutes we were awful at times, um, extremely sloppy. We couldn't keep hold of the ball. Um, and yet we've came out with a draw. I think City were there for the take, and I really do, because once we strung a couple of passes together, we cut them open. Um, and I'm hoping Liverpool, you know, you're at Wembley, they had to give their allocation back because they couldn't fill out Wembley, which is absolutely shocking. Um, you've got our crowd, you've got, you know, we call it uh, the, you know, Anfield South, don't we? Um, we've been there before uh, this season, so we know what it's like. And um, I, I just hope that uh, in this game we just calm ourselves a bit, um, because it seemed like, you know, from the first minute that game kicked off on Sunday, all I wanted was for Liverpool just to take the sting out of the game and the atmosphere. Um, and instead, it looked like some of us were running around like headless chickens at times. So, uh, just a bit more calmness on the ball, a bit more. You know, just keep you know recycling it, um, rotating it, and just you know make sure that we're not giving the ball away too easily, um, because we were at times against Manchester City on Sunday. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree anymore. I wish I spoke to you earlier in the week, Chloe, because I was not incensed with the performance, but I was disappointed. And a lot, of, a lot of credit has to go to Manchester City for being as good as they are, obviously. But we're also very good. And it felt like a lot of people just said, oh, yeah, we can't play our way because City is so good. But I didn't I didn't sort of buy into that narrative. I felt like we were way below par, certainly in the first half, like you alluded to. And we just made simple errors. And we just were missing passes and not doing things that we have grown to know and love for, and become accustomed to from this Liverpool side. So, yeah, we'd be hard tasked to start as badly as we did in the FA Cup semi-final, um, I think, because it's just... We were so, so way off the pace, I thought, <clears throat> in the opening exchanges last Sunday. So, yeah, Dave, I'll come to you. If you want to touch on, you know, what we can improve on, I think Chloe's covered it nicely there. But also just on City generally and the fact that they are obviously, you know, potentially the ones stopping us from achieving this unprecedented quadruple and indeed picking up any more trophies potentially this season. Yeah, I mean, the very first thing I wanted to pick up on was what Chloe said there about City not being able to fill their allocation. I just looked it up um, as as you were speaking there, Chloe, and <laughs> there's an article here um, from the Mail. City fans are apparently able to, to buy four tickets per person. Um, Liverpool apparently expected to sell out their 34,000 allocation. No, Obviously, no surprises, but that is quite mad, and I think it says quite a lot, to be honest. Yeah, but... Um, yeah, on the uh, on the actual game and and the lessons from last week, I just say two things quickly. First of all, I don't know if you two agree with this, but when Liverpool go to the Etihad, they they look not scared, but they look like anxious. 
like mm. they look like the occasion just gets to them and you want them to, to go there and and show the big game experience that they have it's plentiful and you want them to go there and really you know chloe says they're there for the taking you want that kind of spirit in the performance of you know come out with that aggression that's when liverpool look look best against man city when they play without fear obviously you've got a it, it's, it's about calculated risks especially in these games but yeah it, it just frustrates me so much i mean trent in particular the early part of that game he just looked like <laughs> the he was literally because there'd been so much build-up to the match it looked like the occasion was really getting to him and i like to think obviously this is wembley so it has that air as well but I think because we've got the same amount of fans in there and it's, it's a neutral ground, that hopefully those nerves that we seem to get when we go to the Etihad won't be there. Um, the other thing I'd say is, it's like Chloe mentioned, this this sloppiness. You know, the first goal, we failed to clear it. The second goal, Alisson thinks the ball out and they intercept it. You cannot do that against Man City. I mean, you might end up... If you try to play out from the back, you know, that's the club's philosophy. I accept that. And it might happen once in the game that they pounce on you because you've got a team who are seasoned veterans when it comes to playing out from the back, but you've also got one of the best pressing sides in the world, if not the best. So it it can happen, but it happens to the extent that it did. You just can't accept. Um, so we need to make sure that we're a lot sharper um in possession around our own penalty area because it's it basically it basically cost us the other day. So those would be the two big lessons to draw from it for me, to be honest. And it's things that you wouldn't expect a team of our caliber to do. So fingers crossed um we can cut that out. In terms of the the other question about City standing in our way there's two ways you can look at it. We spoke a lot about how Liverpool are unfortunate to have City in the same area as them, this Liverpool side, and how much more they would have won. And you can think of it as a curse. And I, I'm not sure about Liverpool's ability to to win these games against the very, very best sides. Because we've played City and Chelsea twice now. And we haven't lost any of the games, but we haven't won any. And I don't think we've produced a convincing performance. And obviously there's going to be spells in those games where you're on the back foot. That's the nature of the opposition. But I haven't really come out of any of the games feeling more confident or feeling all that pleased with what I've seen from Liverpool. So that's what worries me in those games and will worry me if we have to face City, not only in this competition, but in the Champions League as well, which is a very, very real possibility. Mm-hmm. The other way you could look at it, and the more positive way is, it's an opportunity to stop Man City and what they kind of stand for as a football club to stop them winning the Champions League, which is obviously what they're so desperate to win. Um, and obviously to stop them in the FA Cup as well as the Premier League. But obviously the Champions League is the big one. So you can you can look at it both ways. And it's like, I think we're all to varying degrees probably desperate not to see City win the Champions League. Because I think that moment when City or PSG, I mean, Chelsea have already done it, but with that moment when City or PSG take it, I think will be kind of a dark moment for football, in my opinion. So you, it's almost like, do you trust anyone else to stop Man City? Except maybe Pep Guardiola's team selection. Do you trust hmm. anyone else to do it? Uh, maybe not. Maybe you have to do it yourself. But what I will say is, I mean, Dan, I think you'd um, had to, had to uh, rush off 
at this point last week, but mm. we when we were, when we were speaking to Howard, Chloe was saying like about her nerves for the game and stuff, and about trying not to be sick. I mean, the level that that would be on for a Champions League final against an English side, and not only an English side but Man City, um, I think would be would be off the scale. So personally, it's <laughs> it's something I am dreading to be honest. The prospect of yeah going so so with them in in all three compositions, but like I said, you can look at it if you want to be a bit bolder as as an opportunity, maybe. I think I'll have to look at the opportunity side of things, otherwise I too will probably be sick. Um, I've never been an advocate of Manchester City since day dot when their money came in. It's not something I particularly like. Um, and even more so now that we're going head to head with them, even though we weren't back then, but we are definitely now. And it's just the thought of coming up against them is not a very pleasant one. Um, but like you say, if you look at the positive side of things and stop them and go on to glory yourselves, which is certainly something we're capable of, I'm actually feeling with more confidence based on last Sunday's performance. Just because, like Chloe alluded to earlier, just to finish on this little section, Chloe alluded to it earlier, like when we actually got the, fo- the ball down and played our way, we hurt them twice. And we looked like hurting them a few more times in sort of the next few minutes. And I just thought... If we can string any sort of performance together, even close to 90 minutes, we can beat these. And if you take into account, obviously looking ahead to Saturday, what has happened in midweek, because although we drew our game and they drew theirs, you know, our ride, if you like, was a hell of a lot smoother than theirs. And I think they have picked up some relatively key injuries. I think De Bruyne had to be replaced and Kevin Walker, whoever that is, Kyle Walker has to be replaced as well. So... Going into Saturday, we're definitely in a, in a better place by the looks of things. Um, I'll, I'll stick with you, Dave. So I'm going to base the, sort of the the basic lineup and the fundamental lineup on what we saw last Sunday, um, which is obviously Allison, Trent, Matip, Van Dijk, Robertson, and then Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, and then Salah, Jota, and Mane. That was what I'm going to work off. So from that, do you expect to see any changes for this second Manchester City clash? Yeah, I mean, I I would make a couple of changes. I'd make looking at it two to that side. Okay. And I would be tempted to maybe make it three because I would like to see a Fabinho Keita Thiago midfield potentially. Mm-hmm. But Naby Keita played ninety minutes last night and mm-hmm. it's a Wednesday night to Saturday afternoon turnaround. So I don't think that's gonna happen, sadly. Um, maybe comes off the bench, but I don't think, don't think he's going to start. So the two changes are in the front line for me, and it's the front line I, w- I wanted to see last week um, of Salah, Firmino and Diaz, because whilst Mane and Jossa did score in the game, um, and I thought Mane had an okay game, I didn't think... What I saw didn't like change my mind on, on Wanson, that's the that selection, if you get what I mean. Yeah. So, like, with Jota, I don't know if you know, it's the amount of times he seems to be picking the ball up in that middle third of the pitch and giving it away so sloppily. And it's so frustrating because sometimes it can be really hard to get out and sometimes you've got a promise in, like, counter-attack building. And I just don't think he's he's that, you know, accomplished a, a passer of the ball. I you know, I complained about Firmino earlier, but to be fair to him, he is quite a bit better at that than Jota is um, when he's operating away from the penalty area. So I'd be going with Fabinho for that reason. And whilst yeah, Mane was okay, I really would like to give Diaz a chance to kind of go at City for 
um, for a longer period, to be honest. And whether the fact that they both played yesterday indicates that they might not play on Saturday, I don't know. But if I was to make changes, it would be there. And I think I wasn't a huge fan of the attack and selection, even though they both scored, like I say, and I would maybe like to try something different with it. But I'd keep Salah in there because um, I, I think his performances actually the past couple of games have been quite good. Yeah. Certainly in terms of uh, passing the ball, great assist against City and, you know, mm-hmm. nearly had a one or two assists yesterday as well. So I think he's still playing OK, despite not really scoring so much at the moment. So that would be um, what I'd do, I think. Yeah, I think you're dead right on the Salah point. I think I was actually surprised he didn't start last night. I thought we might run with his performance in the second half against City. I thought it was a marked improvement on what we've seen recently. Um but then again, when he came on last night, I thought he looked sharp as well. And he was he was quite unfortunate not to score, really. That's that's inches away from being trademark Mohamed Salah, isn't it, that effort? Um, and I agree with you on most of your points, to be honest with you. I think Jota... I, Diego Jota was doing that sort of link-up play pretty well earlier on the season for a period. And I think we all thought, OK, he's almost arrived now in that role. But the past few weeks, he's been well below par at it. So far below par in it. It really sort of stood out like a sore form in the City game. We just couldn't keep the ball with him. We just couldn't keep it at all. And it's almost as if he's dropping sort of, you know, three, four out of ten performances and then scoring quite a lot recently. Which sounds really harsh, but I just think that's where he's been at for the past few weeks. Obviously, scoring's like the main thing. That's the whole point of the game. I, I completely get that. But at the same time, some of his all-round football has been really bad. But yeah, anyway, um, I'll, I'll come to you, Chloe. Um, any particular changes you'd make from Dave's selection or or indeed from the one last Sunday? Um, I wanted Diaz to start last Sunday and I most definitely want him to start on Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, I can understand the, the need for Firmino and I would be fine to see Firmino in. Um, but I thought in that second half, the best player on our pitch was Sadio Mane. And when he got taken off, I was extremely yeah. surprised that it wasn't Salah who was hooked first, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Mane was a really... Um, he was the most attacking player in that second half. He, he was getting at people and taking them on. Um, so I'd actually, I'd actually go with Diaz, uh, Mane and Salah. Um, I mean, I just love a bit of pace, don't I? Let's be honest. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. Um, as, as for the midfield, I'd like to see. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to drop Henderson. So there's just no point in me even asking. Um, you're never going to drop your captain, especially not in a semi-final and. Uh, so I think it'll be the majority of the same um, midfield. I'd, I'd just change the, the front three. Um, but what I will say is there's a lot of slowness in that midfield that if we do get bypassed and, and gone through, um, it, it's very hard to then obviously claw back the yards to get back on top and get in a good position. So um, I wouldn't mind seeing Naby Keita, but mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that he will. So, um, yeah, so just... So just Diaz coming in for me. Yeah, that's fair. I think I was happy with the midfield we picked from the outset on Sunday. I think that's the midfield we probably all wanted. But then as the game wore on, I just thought we missed Navigator and we needed Navigator. So I'm going to stick to that. And I know he played 90 minutes last night, but for me, he starts on Saturday. Um, and I wouldn't have gone with Diaz until, well, A, you two spoke about him. And B... I think, obviously, like I said earlier, Kyle Walker looks like he's pretty much definitely going to miss. And the thing with the Kyle Walker-Diaz matchup is, although Diaz is exceptional, 
Kyle Walker is one of the few players like around who could match him stride for stride in terms of pace. But if he's missing, you know, there isn't a Man City player that can match Diaz. So I'd be even more tempted to get him in now. So I probably would have probably go Salah, Firmino, Diaz. Um, and it's also been Canate and Fermatip, to be honest, which is a little bit left field, I'm aware. Um, but I just feel like obviously Matip played 90 minutes last night. I felt like he struggled against City on Sunday. So for me, I'd be giving Canate that second consecutive game um, and then bringing Matip back in next week for United. But yeah, um, unless anyone's got any massive objections to that, I'll get some score predictions. Um, I'll, call, I'll stick with you, Chloe, on score predictions, please. Um, what, what do you reckon? Um, I mean, I didn't do a score prediction last week and we drew. So I might as well do one this week, even though I don't like doing it against Manchester City. <laughs> um, I'll go with a 2-1 win for Liverpool. Like that, Dave. I mean, I have to raise an objection to question of Matip's performance last week. First of all, I thought he, I thought he was a rock in the second Again, half. City. I thought, yeah, I thought we would, we would, we would have lost that game without without Matip. Yeah. Maybe first half. I thought Virgil Van Dijk was worse than Matip. Yeah, yeah, I, perhaps, I I, yeah, perhaps. But what you're right, and you are right in terms of second half. But like the game was ninety minutes, and it just felt like. I mean, a lot of them were guilty, and I am too harsh singling him out. I must admit, and I don't want to get some sort of Joel Matip thing going on again because I've been there before. <laughs> but um, for me, uh, yeah, Virgil Van Dijk was also very poor. I put that out there. He was very poor, but he's not in line to not play on the weekend, is he? Let's, let's face fact. And also, he didn't play at all last night. So Matip wasn't very good against City. Neither were many. And then he played ninety minutes last night. That's my basis. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. I think the minutes thing is the big thing, and it was strange. I think Liverpool put out one of those showreel performances for Van Dijk, which probably required a bit of selective editing, to be honest. Um, but he, yeah. did, he did have a, a couple of, of good moments in the game. Score prediction. Um, when you play City, it's going to be maximum suffering, isn't it? So it's going to go to extra time, and it's probably going to go to penalties, to be honest. Um, so I'm going to say Liverpool to win on penalties <sighs> and no, nobody to enjoy themselves until the last spot kick. That's my that prediction. is a- absolutely disgusting. Your prediction is pain, basically, as, um, <laughs> Essentially, yeah. as Mr. T would say. Um, yeah, that is horrendous. I actually, in a re- really warped way, I alluded to this earlier, I am more confident having watched us, you know, essentially fall apart for 45 minutes on Sunday because... I just feel like we aren't going to be that bad again. And we probably learned our lessons from what we've seen. And we probably, we were miles off them on Sunday in many aspects. And we still drew. Chloe alluded to this earlier as well. Like, they should have put us to bed there and then on Sunday. And they couldn't. So, for me, I just think that gives us a huge psychological boost. Um, so, I'm going to go 2-0 two, two Liverpool. Yeah, 2-0 Liverpool on Saturday. I think that performance we've all been longing for us to put together finally comes to fruition and we beat Man City and goes to the FA Cup final, which would be great. Um, but yeah, that's my prediction. Um, I guess some final thoughts off us before we move on. Uh, Dave, anything, any words of encouragement or hope as we enter this, what feels like the longest running in the history of world football? Encouragement or hope? I think I said this to my friends the other day and this is completely irrational. But I don't think that there's going to be a repeat of 18 and 19. I just don't think that that happens twice. A run okay. of like both teams winning all their, all their games in the running and one point separating them. I just I just think the odds of it happening twice are so low. And maybe 
Ali Ali my words, but I think that there is another twist in the title race. I think City will drop points. So that that's my word of encouragement. I think they've probably got more fix difficult fixtures than people realise. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I'd say is the usual line of um please give us a five star rating on Spotify and a positive review on any other podcast platform. And also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is in the description, the link to that. Good man. Um, yeah, I, I like your point on the title race, actually. I think that's probably a fair shout. The odds of that happening once are extreme, let alone twice. Good point. Uh, Chloe, you're very good at these sort of things, so I'm going to hand over to you now to uh, give the Liverpool fans any words of solace in what is about <laughs> to be a mental time. Um, well, right now we're living through a moment that only, you know, other football fans can only dream of. Um, look at Everton. You know, they could only dream of a moment like this. And yet we get to live it, you know, season after season. The the journey that these Reds and, and that manager take us on. Uh, and the opportunities they'd give us to, to travel um, and have some of our best moments in our lives within football is, is brilliant. So just drink it in, just enjoy it. And, and no matter the outcome, understand that you're watching the greatest Liverpool side that may ever be, but will most defo, you know, the greatest ad that'll ever be in my lifetime anyway, I'm pretty sure of it. So um just get behind the lads, uh, drink it in, um, and enjoy every second of it if you can through the stress. Yeah, I couldn't have put it any better myself. And I'm so glad all look at Everton would have been really good three word match reviews. Completely off topic, but they've just been great anyway. You um, can change yeah. it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll be all we've got time for. Um, we'll be back next week to look back on um, what's gone on. Basically, FA Cup semi-final, game against Manchester United, and obviously the Merseyside derby on the horizon. So, not a lot to talk about then, clearly. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, as ever. Um, take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Hello and welcome to the Reds Unrestricted podcast. This is episode 63. My name's Dan Club and I'm going to be your host for today. And I'm joined as ever by Chloe Boxham and Dave Comerford. <laughs>